0: Hello, welcome to the Becoming podcast. I am your host, Anne Fancy. I'm really grateful you're here, and thank you in advance for taking the time to listen. This project, this podcast, was really an inspiration from my soul to expand conversations that I have with students and in life, the deep, soulful conversations that come when everyone's guard is down late at night or in those vulnerable moments where we really allow others to get a peek inside. These are also conversations that allow us space to question the deep questions of life and hopefully through all of it we can feel less alone, we can connect, we can perhaps even expand our view to see life a little differently, maybe a little more playfully, maybe allowing us to laugh and enjoy the ride, the messiness, the ups and downs. And in all of these things, we can find a little more purpose, a little more meaning, and certainly a little more play. Thank you for coming and listening. Thank you for showing up in all the ways you do in your life. And thank you for subscribing and sharing this with people who you think are ready to hear these kinds of conversations. I really, truly, from my heart, appreciate you. Today's episode, I'm interviewing my friend, uh, Nadia, and she's going to share um, a whole lot. She's going to tell a little bit about her story, or maybe a lot bit about her story, a unique story, and upbringing um, with an Egyptian father and a um, British mother and how that shaped her life and how all of these pieces tied into her now her work, um, which is heavy in crystals, healing and most recently um, past life regression if you're more interested in the woo woo and less interested in the storytelling you can skip ahead to about minute 45 but I have to tell you I think all the pieces really tie together beautifully and it's always fun to get a peek into somebody else's life and how they got to doing what they're doing I hope you're having um, a great day and a beautiful start to this fall and uh, thank you again for listening Hey, one more quick thing. I created a Facebook page for this podcast um, before I really thought about how that would work. And I've switched over to a Facebook group. Uh, The reason for that is that we can create community and I want to have the opportunity to pitch um, questions to you. So If we have an upcoming guest, in fact, um, coming up later in October, I'll be interviewing Rachel again. If you didn't hear that podcast, you should go back and listen, as well as uh, my friend Lori Lipton. And uh, they tend to dig really deep and be pretty tapped in. So if you've got burning questions, I want you to be part of this community. I want to have space where we can talk about things. You can tell me what you thought about what's going on in the world, what you thought about podcasts, and certainly ask questions of upcoming guests. So the name of the Facebook group is The Becoming Community. Creative, I know, but uh, it gets the point across. So find it on Facebook. Um, I linked it on the Becoming Facebook page as well, but just ask to join the group, answer the questions, and you're in. Um, Add friends. Let's get talking. Okay, that's it. Thank you. I will talk to y'all soon.
1: Welcome, Nadia. Thanks, Anne. I'm I'm thank you so to have much you. for having me. I really appreciate this. And yeah. It's an honor to be on your show.
0: Thank you. Um so um, Nadia currently has started to um, shift into a different business than maybe some of the other ones you've been doing, and you're now like the Crystal Lady. You have fancier <laughs> name for yourself, or one of two Crystal Ladies. Oh gosh, yeah.
1: no, I don't really have a name for
0: myself. Yeah, no. you're in the world of wellness. So mm-hmm. your backgrounds included clinical therapy. Yes. Um, massage therapy. Massage therapy. Okay. Health
1: coaching. Mm-hmm. I'm into the oils as well. Yeah, essential oils. So all yeah. of the health and wellness. Yeah, or a lot so of the your, health and wellness things.
0: Yeah, different pieces. I think that's one of the places we're similar is that you and I both keep like yeah like grabbing new sort of parts of this whole whatever right. you want to call this integrative wellness type approach. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so funny because even just the the I was um, co teaching an essential oils slash crystals class on the chakras and I literally walk in to find out you had scheduled the same thing in your yeah, space and I was right. like well that's really interesting <laughs> apparently this is what we're all supposed to be doing
1: right I Wasn't know it's so it funny was so funny I was yeah. like wait she's doing crystals and essential yeah, I was like okay. okay well yeah we've been planning it for a while and
0: I thought that is so strange anyway so here you are doing crystals and doing all these things and you just got trained in past life regression oh yes yeah so we have a lot to unpack and I'm excited mm-hmm. to do it um So, how did, I mean, like, what was step one in all of this? Were you always guided, like, as a little kid, did you always want to help people? Have you always felt like you're a helper or a healer? Or, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? That's a
1: very good question. I don't really think I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. I remember talking to my dad about that when he, when I was young, Mm because he always knew. The story was, he knew from the time he was five years old that he wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. And so, he just did. And he was. And Mm -hmm. that's what he became but I was like I don't know what I want to be and I'm seven right what should I be when I grow up I have <laughs> right. no idea when people ask me and I grew up in the 80s and you know at that time like the ideal woman was like this businesswoman mm-hmm. right with the shoulder pads and the briefcase yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the suit so that was like what I thought like I would be right because that's so, what the world was selling you it's yeah like, yeah and but that's not what my path was yeah yeah Uh, So how did
0: you get to being a therapist? Or what was first? Massage
1: therapy therapy was first. So when I was in college, I went to Western. Mm -hmm. And I changed my major probably mm, five to seven or eight times. Totally the same.
0: (laughs) Yeah, back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, and
1: then I finally ended up with French and art history because I had taken French the entire way through. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to get out of here the fastest? So done, that's what it is. Yeah, And art history because I had a... A professor that I just loved his classes. He was mm-hmm. basically a genius, and I learned about everything about the world yeah. from these art history classes. And centered a lot on his specialty was tribal art,
0: mm, and so I
1: learned all about those initial um, people that yeah. were on the world the indigenous and people. The, yeah, and um, I think what stood out to me most, like what kind of blew my mind, was that these the indigenous people all over the world at the same time had the same cultures yes and lived their lives in the same way and I was like how what like that at that time being you know 19 early 90s you know I had not heard anything like that and I thought like
0: they didn't communicate how did they know that and it was like isn't that so interesting to think back that that like something resonated in your soul with mm -hmm. that Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Okay, I love that. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would just take his classes and
1: learn about math and you know history and all sorts of yeah. different things. I just loved it, and so ended up with an art history degree that I had no intention of doing anything with yeah. <laughs> necessarily. Right. But it, it was just infor- informative. Mm-hmm. And so when I was still in college, I had ta- I took like a weekend class in massage therapy, and after college, I moved out to Colorado and um, worked as a, an attempt in at a medical office. And okay. so I was thinking, like, okay, I think I want to go back to school, and probably, you know, something in the medical field. My, mm-hmm. You know, I'd always kind of worked for my dad a little bit, doing medical records and different things for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, like, familiar to me. Yeah. And then, I, you know, and that's when I realized, like, I do want to help people. Like, I mm-hmm. liked the massage, and I wanted to help people. Um, and this office I was working in had... A, an Eastern medicine doctor. He was Western, but he had an Eastern medicine degree and he would do both. Interesting. But it was still the Western model of medicine. 15-minute appointments and just like in and out. And I was thinking I'd go back to school for nursing, um, but I just saw that the nurses in this office, they were, it was almost all paperwork. And they were like staying late, doing paperwork, and their interaction with the patients was minimal. They did did more than the doctor, but... It was just this, like, hamster wheel yeah. of just seeing so, as many clients as possible. And yeah. it didn't feel good. Yeah. It didn't feel healing. It didn't feel healthy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So it seemed very natural. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to go to school for massage therapy because then I'm one-on-one with a person for an hour. Yep. And I liked the sound of that okay. and the feel of that.
0: So how long did you massage for?
1: Um, I did it for about 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So after I finished that, I moved to the mountains and worked in spas, mm-hmm. um, got interested in crystals too, because Colorado, there's lots of rock, Rock and stones and in Telluride, where I was living for a little while, people would find um, clear crystal quartz with um, water bubbles in them. Oh, yeah, so cool. Like up high in the mountains. I never had the inclination to actually go and look for mine. Yeah, you know, now I would. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) If only you knew that, right? You could have started your your crystal collection (laughs) a lot earlier. Well, I did start, I mean, I, I probably did start it around then. Yeah. And then from there, okay, so when I was in working at the in mm-hmm. um, I met someone who had taken a class combining massage therapy and psychotherapy mm-hmm. and working with people on the table. I was like, mm. well, that sounds very interesting. And it just happened to be in Kauai. Okay. So I was like, hmm, I think I want to do that <laughs> class yeah. on my next off season. <laughs> right. Okay. So I went out to Kauai and did this class. His name was Lee Joseph. He's passed away now, but the school is still there. Um, and it was mindfulness in the morning, Mm -hmm. we do mindfulness practices in the morning and then we would do structural integration, um, body work and basically therapy with people on the table. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you experiencing now? And I just loved it. I love that combination. And Mm -hmm. that's really when I, I had the idea of, I want to work with people holistically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I knew massage was a piece of that, but I never felt like that's, you know, I'm going to do that forever. Right. It
0: wasn't it. It was the next right thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was the next right thing.
0: I think my whole path has been the next right thing, the next right thing. Everybody's path is <laughs> if they let it. And, I know. And that's my whole point. Like that's yeah. part of the point in doing this podcast is that if you can start to see other people's retrospectively next right thing, maybe you can start to see your own mm-hmm. and then maybe the path becomes, um, more clear, or at least you can see the next right thing stepping stone based on the information you can have gathered from your life before right mm-hmm. and so you know I'm like writing down little things and I literally wrote down a very very early in a conversation next right step just to remind ourselves to like you just kept following that I right mm-hmm. or my friend calls it the next shiny ball right yeah and that it may not be you feel like in the moment that that shiny ball is the thing but often when you get to the shiny ball you're like oh no there's another one yeah. right and I think that's really what this whole path of like finding your deep soulful alignment is about Mm -hmm. one next right thing and then I was writing down some of the things like okay you tribal art and then you found this dude who did eastern medicine but it wasn't the right thing but it it, like it pinged something in you right yeah and then it was like oh massage therapy oh massage therapy was psychotherapy well then oh then psychotherapy and then you know so it's like you can just start to see how this like web unravels Mm -hmm. or or Completely. Yeah, rises well, up. Well,
1: and so then that reminds me too, like of the books that I was interested in, like after that college time, yeah. I found Edgar Casey and yeah. started reading a ton of those books. And I was like, oh boy, like mm-hmm. that really shifted my mm-hmm. worldview. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, and there was a class that I took in college that, again, interestingly, this girl that I knew, I was complaining about something, I don't remember what. And she's like, you should really take an Asian, this Asian literature class that I'm taking right now. Hmm. Um, I was like, Oh, okay. She just seems so like Clear-headed clear headed yeah. clear that I should be taking it. So I was like, I had no thought of it. So yeah. I took that class and that just really blew my mind.
0: Just to start to be exposed to the the Asian or Eastern philosophy? Yes. Yeah.
1: So it was, you know, we read Siddhartha, we mm-hmm. read um the Bhagavad Gita yeah. and the professor for that class was, like, he had been studying Eastern traditions for a long time and had gone to India, and mm-hmm. so that really opened my mind to Eastern thought, which I didn't have any um, knowledge of before that, yeah. and I didn't really grow up with any religion. Mm-hmm. At all? None at all? Not really, because my mother grew up British Baptist, I think mm-hmm. I told you yes. this, and so very strict British Baptist, and then she mm-hmm. married my dad, who was from Egypt, and well, I was Muslim. Yeah, and so she realized that you know she it, you know when she married him that you know she didn't believe the whole thing that he was going to burn in everlasting hell if
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think that's always how it is. Like it's like yeah. um, you can hold those those beliefs so strongly, and then all of a sudden something happens where it's very close. Right, mm-hmm. Brene Brown says people are hard to hate close up. Right, yeah, she happens to right. fall in love with an Egyptian Muslim, and all of a sudden right. all of that rhetoric and belief and paradigm has to shift. Yeah, because she's feeling love. Right. right. Really and, and
1: probably for her, too. Like, she was going through the motions. Like, mm-hmm. that's what was expected of mm-hmm. her. And so, once she started thinking for herself, it was just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Right. So, uh, she left. And so... So, because
0: they both sort of left their religions for each other. <clears throat> and your dad left Egypt.
1: Well, he left Egypt just because he saw it not going in a good direction mm-hmm. for him. You know? Mm-hmm. At the time he left, it was way more European, I believe. Okay. In the way, you know, like... um, You know, it was... They were following. I I don't really know how it was, but you know I don't think women were covering their hair as much, and you know that kind okay. of happened afterward. Um, but it wasn't that. It was like economically, you know, everything about it didn't resonate with him, and yeah. then all the discord in his family, family life, at that time. Right. I think he left Egypt and wanted to come to the United States. I don't know if my mother really knew that when she met him in England. Yeah. Or in Wales, actually, is where she was from in Cardiff. Um, but they fell in love, got married, and then three years later moved to the United States. And then three years
0: later, he's like, by the way, we're going to the States. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Basically. Because yeah. for a foreign doctor in England, you can only go so far. Mm. Whereas I think he knew if he moved to the United States, it's like you
0: can... You can go as far as you can go. Yeah. And, um... The land of opportunities. So all of that culminated in not having a religious upbringing. Right, right? but
1: my dad still practiced. Okay. Life. he's
0: always has, not, um, not, like, he doesn't
1: pray five times a day, but he prays once a day. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't follow all the... Um, requirements Like, he, w- he used to drink alcohol every once in a while. He'd eat pork. You know, yeah. it's not... He felt... His way of doing it was like, well, I'm in a different country now, so I'm going to go along with the ways of this country. I'm not going to try to bring my...
0: Interesting. He was going to adapt.
1: He was going to yeah. adapt because yeah. it's hard, you know, and like that's what he says about Ramadan, too. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when you're in Egypt... It's easy to do that because everybody's doing it to right. fast all day. Right. But when you're here and you're working...
0: And you have business meetings, and you have plans yeah, and you have things. Like, yeah, it's just
1: like... So he didn't, and that's his choice. And um, We didn't have a big... They have friends that are Egyptian now, but when I was growing up, we didn't really know a lot of people yeah. in that community.
0: So when you first got um you first learned about Eastern tradition, it was like a whole new world had opened up for you. Yes. You had never been exposed to. Right. right? Cuz there was still some lingering Christianity and some there was, lingering Muslim, you know, or whatever. And was, I yeah. had a
1: neighbor that would take me to church with them. Okay. So I learned, you know, somewhat about that, but it never really resonated mm-hmm. and it felt very like you know, punitive. Like yeah. if you don't do this, like you need to do this because that's what I say. Like it didn't resonate in my heart. Like I don't. Yeah. You're you're telling me what to do, and it was like I felt fear from it. Yeah, weird.
0: Huh? So <laughs> weird. <laughs> it's so crazy. That religion creates fear. It's and power and. <laughs> Cunitive feelings, yeah. So but it's almost interesting to think about that, though, because like you're a kid, you have no no spiritual practices that are really being um, programmed into your being. Mm-hmm. And then, how old were you when your friend would take you to church? Probably seven or eight. Right. So you're old enough to start to really be like questioning and curious about the world, and you mm-hmm. step into this. And because you weren't the frog in boiling water, having had it programmed into you your whole yes. life, you stepped in and were like, "What? Yeah, yeah, right. that's so fascinating because." Most of us have been raised in it so long that it was just what we knew, and these are like these are the beliefs and agreements of our family. So if you're part of this family, you better get on board. You didn't have that. No,
1: I mean there was definitely some lingering Christianity. Sure, you know we celebrated Christmas, we did it, but there wasn't the religious aspect of it, and there wasn't. I didn't know the
0: stories or yeah. It was more like okay, here we are. You weren't going every Sunday, right? No, no, and that's the that's the thing. Like nothing was getting. Yeah. Programmed. Yes, your mother certainly had some latent She was programmed. She was programmed. Yeah. And some of that wore off on you, obviously. But it wasn't like the, you know, I went to church every Sunday, right? I heard this all the time. Um, and I still questioned it, but I just think it's so interesting that you stepped in at seven or eight and were like, what? You know, like I just hear like the record stopping, you know, like, "Er!" like what? It doesn't like, this doesn't resonate or make sense. No. Okay. So, so you got into those Eastern religions in college. And so those are like, you know, those are steps along the way. I read Siddhartha in world religions in in high school and, and even being in my you know, president of my church youth group, um, I was like, oh, this is fascinating. This makes sense to me. You know, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was like so grateful to find other, because there was always so many things that didn't resonate with me about church. Uh-huh. But it, but what did resonate was a feeling of spirituality mm-hmm. and connection and unity. And that's what I went for, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so when I was taking that
1: class, you know, it was like everything was kind of coming together. And mm-hmm. then I could understand, I understood the Ten Commandments. I'm like, oh, that's why they're saying don't do this and do this and don't mm-hmm. do this. It's because we're trying to be, like, good people. Yes, it's morals, yeah. It's, and I didn't get that. Like, yeah. I didn't get, like, why should I, like, my the way I was living my life, why should I do anything? Like, I had that mm-hmm. sort of attitude in my early adolescence, late adolescence. Yeah. Like, what difference does it make what I do?
0: Right.
1: So that answered those questions.
0: Interesting.
1: It's like because we're on this path and it's like the more the karma mm-hmm. thing and like we want to do good because it feels good and it, it helps other people. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get that from the religion and I didn't really get that in my upbringing. I was just kind of floating around. Lost. Yeah. And it, it was interesting. Like I was studying up late one night for that class and I was reading one of those texts. I believe it was the Bhagavad Gita mm-hmm. and I had a very... Intense experience. Like I was, it was just like quiet. It was three o'clock in the morning. You know, everybody was Mm -hmm. sleeping, and I read something, and it felt as if there was like, like I woke up. Yeah. Like everything clicked, mm -hmm. and I felt this light like go off in my body. It was almost like I was zipped up. Mm -hmm. I know. I have crazy goosebumps. And Mm -hmm. it just like all like oh my gosh! I just
0: like I get it. I
1: get it. Like I get it. Like. You know, I should try to be good to myself. I should be good to other people. I shouldn't gossip. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have any reason why.
0: And in your twenties, you're you're like so self centered. Anyway, yeah. I mean, every twenty year old, it's part of I think what's happening in the brain and in life. Mm-hmm. And like you're so self focused, um, and then to have that shift. It was. just... I and mean, that just sounds like an energetic shift. Like you literally, mm-hmm. you know, we, I we, I call it like you know up leveling or leveling up. Like yeah. You just went. Yeah. Like that was what happened, and so yeah. it's like whoa everything changed
1: and it's my perception changed it's not like my outer world changed immediately no but
0: well the outer world doesn't really change no
1: (laughs) or the way that i you know it's like things like just things started shifting at that
0: point like Mm -hmm. i had
1: more purpose in my life
0: your consciousness you started to like Mm -hmm. connect with that in a different way it sounds like to me yeah Yeah. wow okay so so let's keep going because you were at okay so we were at the point where you you did that psychotherapy and um quiet Kauai. Okay. So then, yeah. So then, I was like, I want to get more of that piece of mm-hmm. the
1: psychotherapy, and the mindfulness, the meditation. I mean, it seemed so relevant to mm-hmm. be able to go inward, and you know, just all of that. So then, when I moved back to Michigan at that time,
0: you were raised here.
1: I was raised here. Okay. Then at the same time that I came back, maybe it was that day, my mom um went for a biopsy, mm-hmm. and found out that she had breast cancer mm. it felt like the right thing to do to stay here
0: yeah well in divine alignment man. Mm-hmm. you know intervent a universe intervenes to keep you rooted here yeah which led to other next right things right all the steps along the way it's like okay now i've got the bodywork piece mm-hmm. and then i was
1: still doing bodywork all the way through until i had kids and that's when i decided to let that go yeah um but then added the the psychotherapy piece mm-hmm. and was working with people in that way and you know tough clients too you know it was more it was like a clinic where um crisis a crisis type clinic so yeah. people that were having a really hard time yeah
0: what what give us an example what do you mean by that like major well, i worked changes. with adolescents
1: mm-hmm. a lot of adolescent girls that were not being well taken care of it, that a had, had a lot of trauma mm-hmm. yeah and so it was tough you know and a lot of you know not a lot of support from home Mm -hmm. so it was hard because there's only so much I could do and I really had to come to terms with like I couldn't save them like that was I think the hardest part about doing it is that okay I can just give them a place you know for this one hour a week that I'm meeting them um, to feel heard to feel heard and listened to and let go of the thing like I want to take them out of their situation and give them you know yeah more support yeah but that wasn't role and so you know that part of it felt very limiting you know so the whole model I was very disenchanted with and then Mm -hmm. that at that time too there was you know the pharmaceutical reps would be coming in all dressed up in their nice suits and bringing these fancy lunches for us and that was I don't think that's still going on but that was a big part of
0: that yeah, yeah I don't know I don't know if it's still going I by. don't know and, yeah. but it's just like the whole thing felt yucky yeah like, <laughs> but this is what like, I get sh- this is not what I signed up no for. and that's
1: not what I wanted how but long I- did you do it I did it for you know I worked in clinics for probably
0: <sighs> maybe 10 years wow in and out. like if we're looking at your life retrospectively like what or did you gain What were the powerful like learnings that came out of a psychotherapy, having a practice and counseling people. Like, what piece did you gain from that that, that's part of your path? What was the most value you gained there? Mm -hmm. I mean, I really learned how to sit with people. In in their their, pain.
1: In their pain. And allow, instead of, you know, my tendency, I think, would be to, you know, like, okay, let's move on. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's, like, it's going to be okay, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's really, no, that's not what it's about. It's about really being able to sit with somebody and... Allow them to be wherever they are mm-hmm. and encourage them. You know, mm-hmm. I've had clients where, you know, especially the adolescent girls, they wouldn't speak. They wouldn't yeah. speak because they never had a place to speak. Yeah, nobody was and listening to them. So they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Or they didn't even know what they were thinking for themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that just being able to allow that mm-hmm. was. I think very valuable. Yeah, and realizing that everybody has a story, and they all everybody has something, you know, something, something to that, say
0: mm-hmm. and work through. Mm-hmm. It literally leads into the question I was sitting here with, which is, you know, most people who are drawn to therapy have something that they need to therapize. Mm-hmm. You know, what were what have been some of the best things that you were able, or the hardest things to work through? Like, why were you drawn to psychology? Do you think anyway? Yes, healing. But were mm-hmm. there did you have struggles? Did you have maladaptive coping? Did you have, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Most uh, we yes. all do right uh, yes, yes to sure. all of the above yeah. but like what, um, what have been the lessons so far in that well like, I think you yes
1: that? you know it was for my own healing like just going out to Kauai that was yeah. an incredibly healing experience I mm-hmm. mean <laughs> Um, Just sitting in a circle and being, you know, it's always hard for me to talk in front of groups of people, but Mm -hmm. to have the floor of like, okay, you know, we would process in that group of where we were, what we were experiencing, Mm -hmm. and it was very vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I would process my family and situations during that period. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I can imagine that growing up, like, I don't know what it's like to... um, Have an Egyptian father, for example, Mm -hmm. and like, or have somebody live with somebody who's raised in that culture, and then I mean, it's such a mashup. Your parents, right? And so, um, two totally different cultures coming together. The British tend to be a little closed off and uptight. Mm -hmm. If I have that one right, yes. (laughs) And I don't know what Egyptians are like necessarily, but like all of that imprints knowledge, you know programming into us. And then moving here where we had no extended family. Ah. So it was
1: just my you know, I moved here when I was three. Yeah. My brother was two. Um and
0: so it was just us. You were an island, we yeah. We were an yeah. island.
1: And my grandparents would come from England, so I knew them somewhat. Um but like my adolescence was, you know, I was, my my favorite thing to do as a child was to explore. Yeah. You know, and to explore the neighborhood and explore the woods. Yeah. And, you know, whatever mm-hmm. there was. We had, like, you know, ruins of old houses that had been hit by tornadoes. And yeah. So Where in, we're in Michigan in did Farmington, you go? Farmington. Okay. Farmington Hills. Okay, but
0: before it's what it is yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: um And so I don't think that stopped, that, like, wanting to explore. And mm-hmm. so the field just got bigger as I grew. Yeah. And I didn't have a lot of limits mm-hmm. growing up which i probably needed more <laughs> got it we're not well boundaries. okay got no. it and yeah. so i was like oh what's going to happen if i hang out with these people oh mm-hmm. what's going to happen if i do these drugs, dra- drugs, drugs drinking, drinking. Yeah. sex all of that yeah. was a big part of my adolescence mm-hmm. and exploring you know all anything. of these things yeah. anything you yeah. know and so definitely some things were Troubling. <laughs> yes, along that path. Along yeah. that path, and that extended into college, too, mm-hmm. you know, and I experimented a lot with, you know, psychedelics and marijuana and mm-hmm. all of those things, which were fascinating and opened my mind.
0: Yeah, talk about consciousness. I mean, this is the whole thing now, this whole movement on,
1: you know, yeah. psychedelics
0: used different ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm all for that in a, in a controlled, controlled setting,
1: yeah. yeah, you know, but I kind of was doing my own experimentation at the mm-hmm. time, which I think um, – led to me being open to all these different ways of, yeah. you know, there's good and bad from that. And I think, sure. you know, you hear stories about people who, who, you know, never kind of come back after they do some of those things. And yeah. that was always a little scary, but, you know, I, I did try a lot of those types
0: of things. Yeah. So just sort of exploring the self led you probably to, mm-hmm. and, like, and trying that curiosity around exploring everything that led you to a curiosity about people and trying you just felt like um, a healer. There was nothing. Yeah, like, Yeah, I think I meaning. was
1: always like wanting to explore, and I always knew, like I'm not going to take it too far. You
0: know? So the healing was just even just in not having a boundary and being free to free to do whatever the hell you wanted. Yeah, and and the lessons that came with that. So yeah, that was part of your own self study in healing when you went to Kauai and you started to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what was coming up most for you. And then
1: I just remember, like I remember sitting by a river one time and just bawling my eyes out. And it was for my parents. It was, like, for their struggles. Yeah. Like, just rem- just remembering or, you know, for myself and for them. And I cried a lot when I was there. I was just, like, tears mm-hmm. and tears of just, like... So I think there was lots of healing there and things that were being opened up. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, not getting maybe what I wanted, you mm-hmm. know, with my childhood. You know, not yeah. being emotionally connected to in the way that I wanted, not being guided in the way that I wanted, you know? I wanted more, I probably wanted more boundaries and more, like, connection. Connection, I remember that feeling, like, when I was maybe 10, like, I wish somebody would just tell me what I'm supposed to be doing, or if there was a book or a handbook for how to live. Interesting. And I always wanted, like, a mentor. Because nobody guided you, you didn't Mm -mm. feel guided. I did not feel guided. And, you know, it's like they, they had so much capacity. You know, it's not like we had a big network, yeah. Of people. I just didn't have that. And so when I started doing therapy, then I was like, okay. Or when I start, went to school, I'm like, well, I definitely need to get my own therapy. I mean, I yeah. can't be doing this unless I am getting my own, doing yeah. this for myself. Oh my I would God. go four days, four or five days a week for about six and a half years. Wow. I went for psychoanalytic psychotherapy. With... What was born of that for you? <sighs> a, okay. So that healing that came from that was like, it mattered what I said. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't really speak, okay. I didn't really share my innermost thoughts and feelings, mm-hmm. nor did I feel there was a space for me to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, before that time, I had a lot of anxiety, okay. a lot of ruminating thoughts. Mm-hmm. I couldn't like let stuff go. Yeah, and so I think it really helped with that because I would just go and say these things, and it would, you know, it was very open, like they you know the analyst follows the client so Mm -hmm. it's like they don't tell me what to say or you know maybe ask a couple questions to kind of open it up but it's really bring what's going on or
0: where are you today right and just speaking it all out loud into Mm -hmm. the world every freaking day wow i mean that's crazy i mean there's something i always say that like i you know there's so many people who hold so much inside and there's so much shame and that I love that reminder that like shame can't survive the light right and in, and I, I haven't always really understood analytics. I'm an undergrad of psychology I understand it but not from like a soulful perspective mm-hmm. and I think that I'm I can see what you're saying in that that like it gives you permission to say all of the things mm-hmm. and especially the things that are taboo or that you, you normally aren't safe enough to say to someone because right. there's going to be a reaction or an outcome or mm-hmm. things like that and so you're free to like speak all of your thoughts out into the world yeah unapologetically unapologetically
1: yeah and it went I went through all sorts you know there's many months years even that I was like why am I doing this I don't want to do this this yeah. sucks I don't want to do this but it, there was something about doing it to the end that mm-hmm. I was just like I'm gonna just stay and what with was this. the end
0: what's the end <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> good question <laughs> Well, for me, I mean, it's like there is no end, right? Right. You know, and I knew that, like, this is a step, a step in the process. But with an analysis, it's like there is a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And the
0: end is what for you?
1: So the end for me was after having two kids. So I did this. I would bring my babies to the session. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my analyst would be carrying the babies as I would be talking. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Or one of them, not both at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) She was awesome. She was great. Mm -hmm. Um, And... It was getting to a place where I felt settled and able to Yeah, it's a good question. I mean I know like I can feel what it was mm-hmm. because it's like, well, I wanted to get settled in my life. Okay, so it was like I got married. Did I was I in analysis before I got mar- I might have started at like soon after I got married. Mm-hmm. And then had kids, you know, yeah. then had kids, and then we moved, and, you know, starting in private practice. And it's just like, I want to, feeling settled was having all of those things kind of like running mm-hmm. in a direction. And, you know, and I think, you know, I suffered from postpartum depression after my first mm-hmm. son, for sure. And I was like, how can I? I have an analyst. I have my mother and my mother-in-law both helping me. Right. But it was like, no, I still
0: had had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And and then the shame around that. So it felt like to you that you just got to a point where you knew you didn't need what it was anymore and you'd unraveled your mind enough? Yes. you said you were anxious before. Are you still anxious?
1: No. I mean, not to that extent, no. Okay. I mean, I might have moments, but no. Sure. I don't, not like the ruminating thoughts. Yeah. The like constant, I,
0: like, cyclical thoughts.
1: No. Yeah. No, I was really inward. And I think it really helped me to just be okay with being myself. Ah. More so. Okay. Not that I say, not that I am, like, in every situation by any right. means, but right. more so.
0: So this brings us to two co- two points in the conversation. Number one, um, you talked about so postpartum depression. I myself had postpartum anxiety, yeah. and um, uh, there's not a lot of you know there's there there's some support, and then also not very much support. Yeah. And, and I don't know for you for me, the experience was very much like. I had that overwhelming feeling like, we are not supposed to be effing doing this alone. No. And that I knew in the way that I never knew before, like, I'm not supposed to be here by myself with this baby. Like, I'm supposed to be with other women yeah. and other people, and I never wanted to try so badly in my whole life. Exactly. And all of a sudden, sister wives and big love and all those things sounded yeah. really, really good,
1: you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I would love I another know. wife. <laughs> I know.
0: I would love to get my backyard all, like, all together, like, four of us and, like, somebody to go... The grocery store, and somebody does the laundry, and somebody's somebody watching the kids, and, and yeah,
1: everybody does what they like to do, exactly. or maybe we do a couple things that we don't, but we get yeah. it all done. Oh, right. I felt that big and huge at that time because we were living in. Dearborn, yeah. in a condo yeah. where there was nobody. Yeah, You know, there were, like, during the day, there was nobody here. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't realize. You know, and I had moved back from Colorado, so I had some friends from mm-hmm. my past life, but not a ton, and nobody yeah. that I was super connected to. And then I had made some friends through the graduate program. But again, we were all in, like, these different stages of life. There was yeah. nobody in my life that had babies. Yeah. You know, and I was older. I yeah. was probably 37 when I had my first son. Yeah. And... I didn't realize, like, oh, shit, there's nobody around. Yeah, Like, I don't have I a alone. group. And yeah. so, and it didn't hit, like, and my fantasy, went. so I was working, you know, I probably saw like 20 clients a week or so, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to quit, or I'm going to take maternity leave about a week or two before the baby mm-hmm. comes, and then... You know, then I'll start reading all the parenting books and stuff because I'll have all this time. Once It'll just be me and the baby and, you know. I'll have time to ingest information. Oh, I'll have so much time. And it was like, what? Like blow to the head. Yeah, Like, what do you mean I have to like change these diapers six times a day and change clothes or more than that?
0: I mean, I was like. This is not what I want to be doing with my time. Isn't that so funny? And I was like, I'm going to for sure want to go back to working my ass off. And then I had Rosie and I was like, I'm never leaving her ever again. And so I would have changed clothes and diapers for the rest of my life as long as nobody forced me to go back to work. So it's like, but you can't anticipate what's going to happen. For me, it was so primal that I needed to be attached to that baby and Uh just taking care of her needs. And I had no... I, I was like, I love working. I'll totally want to go back to work. Yeah. It's going to be great. I'm going to do it all. Uh-huh. It'll be so great. We'll put her in daycare. And then I was like, no. But you have no idea. And mm-hmm. that's what... I mean, nobody you don't prepares know. you.
1: Nobody prepares you. And they don't prepare you for the whole birth process, which no. was hellacious for me. Right. With
0: Let's go there. Gavin.
1: So, yeah. So I started into labor. And I was nervous about it. Like, you know, I had horror stories from my friends of you know, these long... And so I was pretty... I was fearful about the whole process. not
0: help your process. No. No. Pelvic floor goes... Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I had met a woman maybe at seven months pregnant. Um, She's a doula out in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. And I had been, you know, I was trying to do things as naturally as possible. And at the time I was like, man, I really would like to have a home birth. But I was like seven months pregnant. My husband nor my mother would be on board with a home birth. I would have to like convince them that this was a good idea so that I could feel good enough about doing it
0: supported enough yeah and
1: supported enough and I just didn't feel like I, I could make that paper. happen yeah. um on a monday and called my doula first and I had actually started leaking amniotic fluid which at the hospital okay. they say you need to go in
0: right but my- so you you woke up to the the postpartum depression and that mm-hmm. there was some healing that had to happen for you with yes. that um, so, well, how, and the
1: whole thing of like, now I'm taking care of somebody
0: else and I can't just do whatever the heck I want to, which do, you did your whole life, which right? I did you my were, entire life. Oh, that's so I interesting. Was such a, yeah. Because you didn't have any boundaries and all of no. a sudden you had this like built in boundary. Oh, oh. Yeah. that, like, that And I was, you down. and I didn't have any like network,
1: yeah. you know, I had my mom and my mother-in-law like, and my husband worked five minutes away. So he'd come at home, you know, right. periodically throughout the day.
0: But it's not the same as having somebody who's... Yeah. And
1: so I would drive out to Livonia. I found this Holistic Moms Network. Basically every day I, I had to do something. Yeah. I wanted to do... I just needed to get out. Yeah. So I'd go to that Indigo Forest in um, Ann Arbor. There's mm-hmm. different classes there. I would go to the Holistic Moms Network and slowly... And go to, you know, Baby Me Yoga. Yeah. I would just slowly, slowly do the...
0: Try to find your, ne- find your people. Find my
1: people. And yeah. I'm still friends with some of those people that I met yeah. during those
0: times. Yeah. So when did you meet Inga? That was after your second child. That was then? after my second child, and um, which was a C-section. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 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 It was just like, okay. and you I had so much the first time, though. It's like, how could you ask your body? Your body was like, I am not doing that again.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, I tried to do it naturally, but he was asynclitic. He wasn't budging. Yeah. There was no, I couldn't feel him coming. Like, I remember with Gavin, I could feel him. I could grab onto him and, like, push down, yeah. but I couldn't, like, get, I couldn't feel him. And I didn't have the same support at the hospital, and so it was just like okay. And I, but it's interesting because by the time we made the decision to have the C-section, like I was completely at peace with it. Yeah, it wasn't a traumatic experience for me. Yeah, which if it was the first time, I probably would have like. It would have been devastating. And so I was like, I remember signing the waiver or whatever it is and being like, okay, this is happening. This is happening and this is okay. And I'm fine with it. I'm like very, I was very conscious of every step of the way of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And, and the recovery from that was like night and day. Like I was nothing for me
0: to recover from that. And I know it can be different for other people, but for whatever reason, well, also, I feel like when your brain is, like, when you surrender to what's happening and there's less resistance, your body can heal better, yeah. right? Like, if you had all of that resent and anger and frustration that you ended up with a C-section yeah, I you know women feel, um, then that would have, I think that would prohibit your healing. And mm-hmm. you, you were okay with it. You, you trusted your body at mm-hmm. that point. It wasn't, like, you weren't having a negative relationship with your body. So all of that energy, like... I, don't, I read so much now about neuroscience and healing and psychosomatics and all of that. Like, your yeah. brain has so much to it's do true. with your healing. Yeah. And so in that way, you mm-hmm. were prepared. You surrendered to it. You weren't upset about it. And your mm-hmm. body was like, okay, we'll just fix this right yeah. back up. You yeah. know? That's exactly it. I yeah. think that's exactly it. So you and Inga met because of... So
1: then that month at the ABC, yeah. there were probably, I don't even know how many, between like five and ten women who had... C sections, which mm-hmm. was a very high number. Whatever it was, it was a very high number. For the ABC, yeah, mm-hmm. and our the primary midwife at the time wasn't there. And you know, she, you know, it's not like it was her fault, but it was. Yeah. She probably helped a lot, and I yeah. know she did with my first one. She helped that baby come out. Yeah. Um, and she asked us. If we would consider starting a group, mm-hmm. um, to ha- like a support group for C-section for women who had C-sections, because I think she knew that it was pretty traumatic
0: for the for most of them. Yeah, because if you make the commitment to to want an alternative birth, which is mm-hmm. so silly that we even call alternative birth, like that's so backwards <laughs> anyway. But whatever, correct. If you want a non-traditional <laughs> hospital birth, um, right. then you know that's that that's it's. If you make that commitment, then for people who end up with C C-section, it becomes very traumatic.
1: We eventually, you know, we realized, like, oh, it's not just C-sections that people have difficulties with. So we renamed it the Traumatic Birth Group. And then okay. we decided, just like, we didn't want to be, label it traumatic. Right, right. You know? So yeah. then it was, I forget what we called it. But yeah.
0: um, it was just, like, to help people process their births. Yeah, because sometimes vaginal birth is traumatic in its sense too. So, yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah, and
1: or even if it's not even that traumatic, I mean, there's just so many birth feelings. Yes,
0: and birth and childbirth and and then. Um Everything that happens after that you're not prepared for, mm-hmm. and what happens to your relationships and everything mm-hmm. is all very challenging.
1: And so we would have people come. Sometimes people will come for you know a few groups. Sometimes they would come to one, but it was you know we got really you know it was really it seemed really helpful. We got good feedback from it, and it was like people would kind of like their truth. They did, and they, it was just a place where they could say whatever they wanted to. Yeah. And and process these things without somebody saying, "Oh, but you have a healthy
0: baby." Yeah, because right. it's like you're not lining. negating. Ugh. You're not
1: negating the fact that you have a healthy baby. It's like right. two separate things. Yes, and I think that's what like we just need to be okay with it. It's like yeah. you can love your baby and be very upset with the way that things went.
0: One hundred percent, and that is <laughs> it. I think that's it about everything in yeah. life. Is this reminder that it's not but between the comments, correct. right? But it's and, correct, right? I love my child. And And I miss working or I love my child and I never want to go back to work Mm -hmm. or I love my spouse and I never want to go back to work or whatever Mm -hmm. that is. Like there's all these things that we have to, we always say, but, and they don't have to exclude each other. Right. 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 And people need the space to talk about it. Yeah. So you and Inga became good friends. How did you end up on the crystal path? Okay.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, so Natalie, Nandy, who Mm -hmm. was, ran that group, um, for Nature's Playhouse, who started Nature's Playhouse, she, one session, she gave us this flyer and mm-hmm. she said, If you guys are interested, this is a group that I'm a part of. And at that time, Inga saw it and she's like, Oh, yes, I want to do that. She mm-hmm. didn't even know what it was. Yeah. And I was like, I was still in my psychoanalysis. I'm like, yeah. I am not taking on one more thing. I got right. a baby, I got the psychoanalysis, maybe next year. Yeah. But that was changing woman sisterhood. Okay. And it was the nine month journey um, for women to go through mm-hmm. and kind of like, Rediscover themselves mm-hmm. and heal what they needed to heal. Yeah, and so she did it that year, and um, it helped her enormously and so that following year I did the journey okay um I, I just had the sense like I need to do it yeah like I didn't want to do it yeah it but was you like you supposed to be there yeah and yeah. I knew if I went to one of those meetings I would end up signing up and I was kind of resistant to going to the meeting because yeah. I knew I would if I yeah. was there which I did I so was...
0: tell people because it's I, I went to the meeting with you yeah and I knew that it wasn't the right time for me but I appreciate what's happening there but I also didn't understand it
1: Mm -hmm. it's hard to understand it's hard to tell people what it is i
0: wasn't sure if there's like secrecy around it it's not
1: necessarily secrecy but it's more experiential it's like a healing process that we go through i mean the first part of the journey is about um healing the divine feminine Mm -hmm. whereas the second part is about the sacred masculine and so we work on our mother's lineage during the Mm -hmm. first part and then the father's lineage during the second part and so it's healing it's like generational healing so how did that change you you know again that was like another step it Mm -hmm. just felt like for me you know some people have these radical experiences during that where this is the first time they've ever experience themselves or listen to themselves and you can imagine you know the the healing that can happen when Mm -hmm. that when they're really being asked to go within and and for people who have never done that yeah and look at what's there and so it's a that's it's there for that Mm -hmm. you know for me it was more like this is the next step you know i've been doing all this work doing all this work yeah and so what i loved about it was being with the group and being able to process at that deep level mm-hmm. with my sisters. It was the missing tribe, right? It was the missing tribe. Yeah. Oh my gosh, exactly. I just got chills. Because yeah. it was like the search for the tribe, right? Yep. Yeah. And we just like, you know, they're like sisters. It's yeah. just like, I'm so connected with them. And it's such a beautiful experience to have that. And then to like be able to be connected with women in a way that is not
0: about the out... External things, yeah. The way that women have been taught to relate to each other, right, right. Okay, so you and Inga became close through this, yes, and uh, uh, and the crystal love, okay, and the (laughs) crystal. I
1: know it's a long, windy road. I know, right? So then we're both in the circle. I joined the circle and was part of that, and then at the same time last year was probably a year and a half ago, we both stepped out of the circle because it was just it was no longer fitting. Meeting, yeah yeah I mean for different reasons she stepped out for her reasons I stepped out for my reasons, but you know I'm still a part of that group and you support know, support and right. mm-hmm. just on a different level but we had this the, you know it was a lot of work to be in in the sisterhood you know it's like yeah. weekly meetings and doing all these things so a lot of my attention went there it didn't go to my business it didn't go to anything yeah. it went into the sisterhood and so it left kind of this opening for like okay now what yeah. because we have this energy where we want to be continuing yeah. to put our and I had at that time let go of my psychotherapy office. Yeah. Like before that, because it was like, it, it was just too much. I, and it didn't I,
0: fit you, it I, sounds like. No. You knew you outgrew
1: it, or it just didn't fit anymore? It didn't fit anymore. And I wasn't, you know, it was like limited. I yeah. felt like working with people in that way for me was limited and mm-hmm. what I was able to do yeah. and how I was able to help them. So yeah. it just, and I wasn't wanting to put my energy into it. And I put my energy more into the sisterhood and wanted to continue to do this healing work, yeah. but in a, like a different type of way. And mm-hmm. so we just started meeting and we had a thousand ideas of mm-hmm. how we wanted to do it, mm-hmm. of what we wanted to do. Yeah. Crystals weren't necessarily a big part of it, but we were also taking classes from a woman named Sandy Clapper in in um, Brighton, mm-hmm. who is an amazing healer mm-hmm. for anyone who wants to drive out there. Her schedule's okay. hard to uh, get into, but, you know, yep. eventually you might get be able in. to. Okay. And she teaches classes, too, and she'll do pr- private classes. Like So, the you know, the four of us would take classes, and maybe there, were some, there was five of us or six of us that would take um, crystal classes with her, and she was teaching us how to use them, how to work with them, all different things about them. Yeah. And so that was kind of going on at the same time, and then you know, what happened was that Beth asked me, Beth James asked me if I wanted to do something for the barefoot and free thing. And that's when we developed the the chakra nourishing because mm-hmm. we had been working with the chakras and we had been working with yeah. the crystals. And so we developed that. And, and you know, again, there was like, we had all these different ideas of things that we want to do and we still do. So even like our space now, we have a space in Ferndale where we do those chakra nourishing sessions. We have other ideas of, of. um Workshops that we want to do that it's have called a, expanding spirit. It's called expanding spirit. You can find
0: it on Facebook.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have a group on Facebook and then a website, a beautiful website that Inga developed, yeah. and that shows what we're offering. Um, so we have the group. We have different group um, experiences that mm-hmm. we. They're not all on the website, but that we can do. Mm-hmm when we first opened we had these open houses where we would have like different energy things that people could mm-hmm. do like laying down in a crystal grid
0: yeah
1: and i don't know if you've ever been to one of those so we have i came you, to an open
0: house but it was like the, there's a the copper pyramid oh yeah and a crystal grid yeah yeah there's a copper
1: pyramid too and yeah. then we have the crystal grid um crystal grids on the sheepskins they're yeah. surrounded by and so you can just lay there with the oh, eye, yeah. Heavy yeah, that heavy eye pillow yeah you had that
0: yeah yeah yeah, and it's
1: like this. You know, it's just your own experience that you can come in and enjoy. So why
0: should people care about crystals?
1: Why should they care about crystals? Well, crystals you know all the hype, right? Like, I know. like it's the
0: newest hype, and it um, seems like that, right? But they're ancient, right? And so, right, you know, I think everything old is being called back to us because I think we're shifting in consciousness and we're remembering who we are, and I think mm-hmm. that. You know yoga, aromatherapy, and not yoga necessarily because yoga is not even as ancient as we pretend. But these mindfulness practices and yeah. what el- what the yoga asana practice does to align our energy body, I think that has more to do with it. I think it's we miss tribe, mm-hmm. but I think crystals and essential oils and alternative medicine and acupuncture and all of these like wisdom, all of this wisdom from the ages. Yes. Um, herbalism, all of it is being reborn because we're waking back we're up waking to who up. we are. We're yeah.
1: remembering. We're remembering. We're exactly. remembering.
0: Remembering. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. And so I'll, I'll take it back to Edgar Casey. Yeah. You know, I mean, he talked a lot of that about that. How a lot of people who are reincarnated now on this earth are from those times at Atlant- in Atlantis. Uh-huh, in Lemuria. In Lemuria.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're remembering. Yeah. And so there's wisdom in these crystals. There's information in these crystals. In mm-hmm. um, the quartz crystals especially, mm-hmm. you know, there's like messages for us. Yeah. And we, there's, they all have their own special properties or characteristics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that we can connect to and we can help heal our bodies with. Mm-hmm. And How do they heal our bodies? Um...
0: Or how do they support us energetically? Yeah,
1: it's like support. It's like a tool for Mm -hmm. connecting. And so when we do the the chakra nourishing, everyone gets to choose their own stone, whichever they connect to. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes stones jump out at them, you know, or they just feel it. And, you know, what I've heard from some people, they're, you know, they're like, I just picked that one stone up and I started crying immediately. Yeah. You know, or I put it on me and it just like started jumping. Yeah. It's like there's some sort of energetic, like their energy, we're energy. Our energy is connecting to their energy and our vibration is raising
0: or yeah. like. Or lowering, but not lowering, but anchoring. Grounding. Anchoring, Annetis. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's basically that the crystals hold an energetic frequency mm-hmm. and then those frequencies support our own rebalancing. Mm hmm. Oh, that's what I'm. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. So how have you, um how have you grown in this understanding? And then like, um, where do you wanna take it? What's next? I mean, so this it seems like you just keep expanding. expanding I know expanding. See, expanding spirits. Yeah. And
1: so now we have you know, we're not at our space very much. Yeah. The you know, we're both moms, yeah. our that comes first. It's hard to um it's just hard to and the the space that we have isn't like our ideal space either because yeah. it's not set up like a retail space which might be a little bit easier mm-hmm. um, so we'd have to like be there and there's a lot that goes into like organizing an event and getting yes. the word out yeah and so what we've done is that m- my partner Inga is a whiz at creating you know like
0: ma- infographics
1: infographics and just like making these crystals and these things usable so that people can accessible usable um and making these products like we have the banish the bullshit one which is this little selenite cup with a piece of the jet in it which helps to cleanse our energy Mm -hmm. um, or it helps to protect us and so we can keep that in our pocket and then um Put it in the dish at night to cleanse the rock from all the bullshit that we have to deal with.
0: Interesting. I got it. You know,
1: and then we have the copper wands that are helped to um, help our light, help our, help to kind of clear
0: out our whole system. And you Listen, can hold... that copper pyramid was like no joke. And I've it's already no got joke. plans to make my okay. wife build me one because <laughs> I was like, you can do this. <laughs> right. I mean, totally. Like it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, that energetic piece. So how did you move into like, so all these pieces together, but like, at what point did you really feel like you shifted in your understanding, um, to this this more elevated space. Like, what was it just a slow unraveling that you've gotten here? I mean, Edward Casey in your 20s obviously sets you up yeah. for some of that. And if you guys don't know Edgar Casey, he's. What was he? Early 1900s. Yeah, early 1900s. They call him the Sleeping Prophet. And yeah. He would, he would go to trance mm-hmm. and he would do these medical readings for people mm-hmm. and um and tell them exactly what to do to go home and heal themselves. Exactly. What and he talked. And then he would channel essentially wisdom. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't even so. Call it that. Yeah, it was
1: toward the, his later years that the people were like, "Oh, wait, maybe we should ask him these some questions, questions. <laughs> about the history of the world, perhaps." And yeah. so they started getting like some really interesting, like the history and about Lemuria and reincarnation, which he himself didn't believe. Mm -hmm. you know for years he was very christian he taught the bible he -hmm. read the bible every year for every every year of his life yeah you know so when he would talk about reincarnation it took him years i think to actually believe it yeah see where how it did correlate with the bible Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, so so okay so the crystals is all piece of that and that's how you got to edgar casey and now it's like the crystals have led you back to reincarnation Kind of, kind of, because this connection with Inga <laughs> and and these things that were happening, right? You guys got uh-huh. so. How did the how did you decide that you were going to? I guess I didn't let you finish the question. Like, how did you shift towards energetics? I answered for you. Yeah, I had to do that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> how did we shift to? Where, well, like, how did you shift to this different level of consciousness? Ultimately, to be so interested, like, you, from you know, it was like from more of an earthy place of psychotherapy and all of the known experiences, right? And then you went to um, you went into these birthing circles and doing these things like that, and then it's shifted to yeah, crystals. Right. And now the crystals, the next thing you just did was learning how to, to conduct past life regression. Like, right. Like, how are you making so, these So, okay. Leaps? I What's mean, the- I don't
1: even know if it's a leap so much as, like, they've always, it's always been of interest. Like, the past life... Past life work has always been of interest too. I, when I was reading Edgar Casey, I read that um, Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian yeah. Weiss. Yeah. So that was, again, during those years. So it was like all these ideas like the Asian literature and then Edgar
0: Casey and Brian Weiss. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is real. This yeah. is like... So your your perspective shifted back then. Yes. And it's just been a matter of time in order to really... To get
1: to this point where I feel like, oh, I know how to offer it now. Yeah. Or I can connect to it. You know, and even with the past life regressions, it's like I had it in my head. Like, yeah, I believe in reincarnation. I believe in past lives. But I didn't experience it necessarily. I mean, I've always had readings. You know, back Mm -hmm. in Kauai, I had a pretty profound reading of like, you know, you were this person, you were that person. Um, of different people that were contributing to who I am now. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of connected with them. Um, but when I did the past life regression therapy training, I went and experienced a regression for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I had the actual experience of like me remembering it and not somebody else telling me about it. Yeah, And that really shifted my perspective. And it kind of opened up the veils more so of like, oh yes, I am this, you know, this soul being choosing these different incarnations for a reason. Yeah. And that, and some of my past life, um, past lives are connected to my, diff- like the difficulties I had in that life yeah. is connected to the difficulty that I'm experiencing, experiencing now. Experiencing now. Yeah. And, you know, by having the memory of that life, it's bringing me right back to this life so that I can then go and work through that and see, like, okay, how, what do I need to do to kind of clear this or lift this or work through this? Yeah. Um, so that's – and so, yeah, what, so the story about how I got into the past lives training is interesting because a woman where um, I go to the dentist – actually, I go to, to see – um, Paul Darmon who you interviewed oh, yeah. his sister yeah right yeah and so the um, manager at his office where we it's just her and I were talking and we were talking about her children and she was telling me something I'm like oh it sounds like it could be related to a past life she's like, oh funny you should say that. Um, and she started telling me more stories about these past life, you know, experiences. experiences. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, "Have you ever read this book by Carol Bowman, mm-hmm. um, the Children's Past Lives?" Mm-hmm. She's like, "My husband gave me this book mm-hmm. when I was pregnant, and you should really read it." And I was like, "Okay, you know, that's cool." She's like, "I'm going to get it for you so next time you're here. I'm going to give it to you." And mm-hmm. she ended up. Buying the book. She's like, I couldn't find it, my copy, so I must have given it to someone. She ended up buying the book and sending it to me in the mail. I'm like, well, if she's going to go to all that trouble, I better Better read read this. this Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I did, and I was just, like, riveted Mm -hmm. with these stories of children that were spontaneously sharing their past lives. Like, it happens way more than we think it does, or way more than I thought it did. Like, I didn't even
0: realize. Yeah, and people just poo-poo it so quickly because there are – framework is not to understand what they're saying, and more of the cases are, are recorded and audited, so to speak, in Eastern countries, Yeah. Um, or Eastern tradition, countries that hold more Eastern thought, because it's more normalized there, and so they allow the children to maintain that, as opposed to squashing it before they Get any information out of them, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah, Yes. and there's great ones. What's the who's the pilot? Um, John, the John 2nd or something like that. John, two, no, what's his name? Oh, the little boy the little who remembers, boy remembers being, being the a pilot. World II pilot. I'll find that and I'll link that too in the, oh, in the show so notes. Fascinating. It's fascinating, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, and there's so many because his like
1: father, it. I believe it was his father, that was a big skeptic and he just would not believe it. Yeah, he wouldn't it was, believe it and he would research it and research everything he was saying. And then he found the boat that his dad, that the son was talking about. Then he found. On the, the that he the, used to land
0: on in the planes and they got every detail and he had and it was no just choice like, but to believe it. I know. Yeah. And at some point it finally clicked. He's like, okay, yeah. all right, already. Well, he met his his sister who's who's oh, elderly in her eighties. Right. The little boy meets the sister and they're they're sharing childhood memories with each other of his past <laughs> life. And it's like, yeah. You I can't mean, make that stuff you up. You can't make it up. And so all these people that like, I mean, I'm I'm raised in a in a very cerebral scientifically-minded yeah. family in many ways. Um, and so, you know, I have all kinds of family that will come up with all, you know, just in my opinion, what they think I'm crazy, and I think their their rationale is so, like, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, and just, like... Anyway, but I, it's so it's so interesting to me how we come to all of this. And to me, this was a, always an easier understanding than so many of the others, right? Like for me as a kid, and I got exposed to this. I mean, Montel Williams used to have Sylvia Brown on, um, and I used to watch that after school. I mean, I was raised, <laughs> awesome. as a, yeah, I was a teenager in the mid you know, the mid-90s. How great. And I remember being fascinated by that, and, like, that all... You know, that was that was the era of talk shows. Yeah. So there's all kinds of people having this these things. And for me, I read... Um, because I was raised in the Christian faith, I read conversations with God. Okay. And Neil Donald Walsh talks completely about reincarnation and, and, um, and past lives and all of these information and UFOs and other, other universes and things. And it was like the first thing and I was like, finally somebody's speaking the truth about mm-hmm. all of this. Like it made it resonated so deeply with me in the ways that all of the things I couldn't understand about Christianity and organized religion. Yes, didn't, right. right? And, like, I came into this life with a ton of anxiety, and I think separation anxiety and loss, and I've always felt like this had to have been something I brought in, because mm. it started when I was two and three. Yeah. It was, I was so young. Um, and so, I I think it's, it's just so, it's so fascinating to me, and to, like, finally get so much of this validated mm-hmm. um, in my own personal experience, and I know people can... Validated all the time they want, but mm-hmm. we have to know within our, our right. beings, right? Right, right. And I still have these experiences, and I go, Did I just make all that up? I totally. mean, I did the reading thing totally. with you, and I was I like, know. I might be completely out of my mind and full of shit, yeah. or that was really profound. So, do you think you're like, with all of this work with reincarnation and having gone through that and stuff, do you feel connected to your intuition? Do you have a sense of that? Mm-hmm. Has that grown for you? with your experience I
1: with think that I have been always connected with my intuition. I remember my mom would always, you know, if I had ask her, what should I do about this? She'd always say, what does your gut say? Yeah. Which was always a great question. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you yeah. mean, what does my gut say? Yeah. But I think it helped me to realize, like, I should be listening to myself. Mm -hmm. And I think along the way, I've always kind of followed that, those, you know, breadcrumbs, like you say, of like, what feels right and listening to my heart and listening to like following what feels right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, when I work with people, so now I'm doing these past life regressions and I just absolutely love it. I find it fascinating. And again, I think it's like, it's healing for the person who's experiencing it and it's also like i'm getting my i'm getting healing from it as well yeah um but it is very intuitive as far as the questions to ask Mm -hmm. you know the way that i work is i'll do a very you know fairly long history it's like an hour hour and a half history really getting into what people have experienced and you know like significant experiences throughout their life Mm -hmm. and anything that they're concerned about that they can't seem to quite get to, yeah. um, anxieties, fears, all of that. We talk about those things initially so that I have a good sense of what might come up mm-hmm. or, and where to like, where to make the connections when things do come up. Yeah. So I don't know, like what I have no idea what's going to come up when somebody comes Our in, at, right. but then just knowing the history helps me to then connect it to what's going on in this life, mm-hmm. which is a big piece of the healing part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's incredibly intuitive. And it's like, you know, it's like, I'm just following that person and like, wow. then thinking about, okay, so what is, what have they presented and what are they working on and how is that connected to this? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, another healing aspect of the the process is going through and healing any unfinished business from that life, which can also have a result or have an impact on our current life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times what happens at the moment of death mm-hmm. has a big impact on this life too. If yes. somebody experienced a traumatic death, yeah. they may, you know, like let's say they said something and then got killed, yeah. you know, they spoke out and then they got killed. They might say something like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. And then that resonates mm-hmm. throughout their being yeah. and they come into this life feeling like they shouldn't speak or they're yeah. going to get killed. Yeah. You know, and it's like this unknown fear, like why do I why am I so afraid to say what's on my mind?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I was in my own head about that. Um, that's really interesting. I think that um I think it's interesting to think about how clinical therapy prepared you to intuitively follow yes. the lead of the person speaking, yes. right? And like listen for what's underneath, right? right. I just did a group facilitator training. Mm-hmm. And I realized you know, one about I've been facilitating things my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and two, like, that's what you do is that you're listening for the information below the information, right? Body language and cues and energetics mm-hmm. or empathic are listening for that all the time. We don't even know. We don't have a choice. Bombarding us, mm-hmm. right? And that you are all of those years of your own psychoanalysis, right? And being in, in, in that analytical space and then also guiding clients through therapy. All prepared you for that really deep sense of listening and mindfulness. It's like all mm-hmm. of the pieces yes. prepared you for this next work, right? right? Mm-hmm. And that's really, it's really fascinating to me. Um, I think that so many people have been we've been so poorly trained to listen to yeah. our gut, daughter permission all the time, and like if anything, if you ever are told to do something by a grown up or there's a rule. Or your friends are telling bossing you around or whatever and your belly says no, you listen to your belly. I don't care what the rules are, I don't care what any of it is, you have to listen to your gut because especially as a rule following kid. I'm like you can't let the outside rules if something's a no, you you or yes, you gotta listen to that, Uh right? And giving our children, they know way more than we give them credit for, right? And that intuition comes out of it, which is another conversation. But um, what do you think what do you hope to do with this? this past life like what is it doing for you what do you think it what do you think the potential is to help others with it like why this next
1: yeah I mean I feel very drawn to it it feels very much the next step for me and um it's healing you know the people that have experienced it so far I can see you know there's a release of anxiety a release Mm of fear just like this relaxation that happens afterwards I always connect with people afterward just to see what you know, how they're doing, you know, what what their impressions are. Because mm-hmm. a lot a, a lot of times something, you know, they don't know what's going to come up. Yeah. And so it can be kind of shocking sure. what comes up. Sure. And so it, I find it really important to make sure to connect with them afterward just to, like, what are their impressions of that? And, mm-hmm. you know, how are they processing it? And is there any more that they want to process? Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels, to me, it's like a direct line into what we need to Work on, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like without all the fluff. Like, let's not. For me, I'm like, I don't. You know, it's. I I like meeting with people on a regular basis in a therapy way, but this feels a lot more direct. It's like a
0: fast line. It's like a quick. It's yeah. a quick, a direct line to your soul's purpose and what yeah. you're supposed to work through and grow through think, mm-hmm. in this life. Mhm. Yeah. And like, what you're. Th- I always think people have like life themes, right? Like, so people need to learn forgiveness, or they need to learn justice, or they need to learn um I mean I'm reading this book right now called Energy Codes I need to okay you I'm yeah. done with it. it's fascinating and um I, what's interesting is that recently over a, conversa- a conversation um uh last week with my wife and our good friend um we were talking about like what's it all for right like all this trauma and loss <laughs> and pain Like, what's it all for you mm-hmm. know and and most of us are aren't really given an answer, right, God only knows, right, all this, like, bullshit, which is so not helpful, right, and my feeling, my, like, retort sort of out of my belly was, like, I really think that it's, you know, our souls are on this this journey, this earth school, Mm -hmm. to grow and evolve, and that that we choose some level of this pain, trauma, and discomfort, and I mean choose in a really like soulful way, not in a human way, but like we set ourselves up to have these really profound experiences sometimes, and sometimes very difficult ones, mm-hmm. in order to keep this personal evolution growing, going, and growing. Mm-hmm. And the only way I can wrap my head around some people choosing really hard for themselves is that they are relatively highly evolved beings mm-hmm. who chose to work on something really fucking hard in yep. this life. And that there is no other explanation other than for some reason you deemed or decided that this is what you needed to grow through right. in this life. Right. And Chills. it's the only <laughs> thing I can understand. And then I'm that I'm literally this book was calling to me, as books do, as I'm sure you've uh-huh. experienced. Yeah. And I'm listening to it on the way up north. And the woman is literally like, her dad was an energetics, so now she's studying this other Dr. Um, Sue Mortner. I'll link that in the in the notes too. Mm-hmm. Um and she said basically exactly what I was saying. She's like, I imagine at, like, this bus stop. And um, we're all at the bus stop. we ready to embody our bodies. And we're like, man, what are you going in for? Well, I'm going to go in for a level 10 forgiveness. But I need one of you guys to, like, step up and, like, do something that I'm going to have to work through that. Like, who's willing to do something to come across my path and do this thing so that I can work on this really high level mm-hmm. of forgiving the unforgivable? Mm-hmm. Right? And... People are like, no, 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 no. And then somebody steps forward and says, well, out of love, and assuming this is like your soul group, yeah, yeah right. I will do this for you to offer you this lesson, yeah. right? And what she really says is, can we, can you wrap your head around the idea, and i have been talking about it in yoga all week, but can you wrap your head around the idea that um, everything that's happening in your life is happening to, um, in your, for your benefit? Yes. For the benefit mm-hmm. of your soul. Yeah. For the growth of the soul and then the collective as mm-hmm. the collective And souls. it's a
1: beautiful way to look at oh, it. Oh, it's fucking
0: hard to look at it that way. Yeah. Like, in the pain, it is hard. But mm-hmm. also, in retrospect, you can pretty much look at everything in your life and go, here's what I learned from that. Here's mm-hmm. what I didn't learn. Here's the opportunity to handle forgiveness or resentment in this way. And I mm-hmm. did it. And now I'm getting it handed in an even bigger way to try again. Mm-hmm. Like Oh, you know, so I just talked for a long time. but like I think that part of what you're doing, what, what I see is this, mm-hmm. this these past life information and aggression information is to also be able to step back and go, okay, in that path, that life that was still connected to this soul life mm-hmm. that I'm having now, I mm-hmm. learned X, Y, and Z, and I'm supposed to keep trying to wrap this one up. Yep. How can I finish this lesson and move on to something else? Correct. Yes.
1: And, and that's how I see it too. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's all for our healing. Mm-hmm. It's all information. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me I'm always interested in what is the next path of growth? How can I how can I grow? And I think that is why we're here. We're here to grow and evolve as yeah. souls. Like that's our purpose. Yeah. And so this is another path to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's a, what I like about it too is that the person is actually experiencing it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, out of their
0: own mouths. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I
0: was just thinking, uh, the other piece of this, all of it isn't like, oh, it's all terrible and hard and sucks, is that from a soul perspective, that my understanding is that as a soul, when you're on, you're at source... That souls are literally looking forward to back to coming back into the human experience because mm-hmm. it's play, and they can feel the fullness of both sorrow and joy. Yes. you get the you get the fullness of life, and that when you're at source, living it in, in, with other souls up there, you're still doing there's still work to be done mm-hmm. there, but you don't get to have that fullness of experience of, right. of both sides of dark and light of, of right. all the of it. duality. The, yeah, the duality that is mm-hmm. a soul we get to really experience and embody, mm-hmm. and. I think that we get so we feel so heavy here and even my thing with you, granted, I it got really weird. I remember that part of what I was like giggling about is like we're just supposed to be here to play. This yeah. is creativity, this is this is growth, this is like
1: It's for fun it's in for a fun way. For and your even though soul. it may be it like,
0: feel like fun. Yeah.
1: It may be intense and crazy and it it's feels like something's painful. happening to you mm-hmm. but it's really it's not like you said it's, it's a, for it's us game in
0: some ways, it is
1: well. and it's like how can we experience it all and I think that's what our souls do in those meetings right It's yeah. like what do I need Watch to experience, experience to evolve what do I want
0: to experience not to, what do I need to right right what mm-hmm. do I want to like what is the desire of my soul and what yeah I what do I desire to yeah. experience yeah mm-hmm. yeah
1: and yeah so wow
0: Awesome. All right. Well, we've got, of this. got kids to pick up. Well, and like right.
1: And I do. So I wanted to mention, too, that we are, you know, since we're not at our space as much, we yes. do, We are selling our products now at the Yellow Door Art Market in Berkeley. So, so we have, family. yeah, if you're yeah. local, um, come check us out. We do have some things on our website. Again, it's expandingspirits.com. Lots of
0: wisdom to impart <laughs> or your personal soul mission. How about that, Tell us, what, like, if you were to... Um, sum
1: up your personal mission? Like, what do you think you're here for? Hmm, that's a good question. I think to bring light, you know, to mm-hmm. hold the light, to bring in the light, and to share the light and help raise the vibration. Mm-hmm. I really connect to this, the earth in this ascending path right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're ascending from this 3D reality to five-dimensional reality and I think there's a lot of us here the light workers who are here to kind of help facilitate that and so this is my little piece of it is to bring that healing and to do my own healing work I think that's a huge part of it is just to how can I heal so that I can hold more light and to show others how they can do that whether it's through you know past life regressions you know healing with food you know that's Mm -hmm. another part of what i do is the health coaching and um you know with the crystals with the oils all of these things are like tools for us to help heal ourselves Mm -hmm. and taking responsibility for ourselves not looking to somebody else to do it for us or to tell us what to do or Mm -hmm. that thinking that somebody else knows best because really I, it's us and you know I'm here to take my own responsibility for my being yep. and show others how they can do that too yeah so That's
0: awesome. I totally see you as a healer in that right. way and a way shower you know thank you yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, thank you for doing this
1: Mm-hmm. thank you for having me what a delight good, <laughs>
0: good.